Hello, camera operating nurse. Wow. Hi, I'm Rob Paulson, and you may know me better as Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. And Egan, you're watching Side Boy Saturday Night. Nerves. Get out, everybody. Side by Saturday Night. Invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Hello, generic convention attendees, and welcome to TalkCast 247. At the time, we're all tired, achy, and weary from seeing way too much cosplay, buying way too much artwork, and doodads. Deep in Area 51 on the sub-level 14, Sarah Lee, Zero-G Makeoff, and Cryogenic Status Recovery Center. I'm the man with the icing fluid in his arteries and coleslaw in his subdural pouch, the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight, the usual suspects. In the Revere Time Vortex, our violent soundboard vixen, Contessa of Sparkles and Stuff, Vice Princess of Rhetoric, our own girl genius, Brianna. <sighs> yeah, I'm only a genius compared to... Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> From the stacks of her personal calm space in the dank dungeons, only indoor zen and vegetable garden, doubling as a robot reading room, it's Zombrarian. Bow before me because I just spent 20 minutes pulling the skin off of deadly sea creatures with my bare hands. Well played, young Jedi. Joining us again tonight from a galaxy far, far away, Sir Sarah Lady Knight. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you very much. It is glad to be here. Well, and we're glad that you're here as well. Our guest tonight, author, curator, Sweden person, <laughs> Stephen Seville. Stephen, that would be Swede. Just saying, Swede. I like Sweden person. I. It sounds like something the Swedish chef would say. I don't know. Stephen, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm not sure the Swedish chef would say that, but okay. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. I, I must say I'm mildly terrified. Cool. That's the perfect, yeah. correct frame of mind. <laughs> we'll be talking later on about uh, Steve's work with Story Bundle, and he's currently in two of them going on at the same time. So Jason's evidently having a lot of fun balancing all this stuff. We'll be talking about those two story bundles after the halftime show, which this week will be, uh, I don't know, blood, sweat, and tears reuniting from the 80s. In any case, we have, uh, it's been an interesting week in the genre this week, and uh, it's been an interesting week out of the genre this week as well. So, Zombrarian, you wanted to start with something that you thought was political and important, so I'm letting you say something politically important. It's vaguely political. Okay. So, if you haven't heard about net neutrality yet, have you been living under a rock, number one? And number two, you should, because today, I think... Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was today. Yeah. But... You're listening to this in the future. So back on Wednesday, um, 
a D.C. district court struck down the FCC's open internet order. What that means is your internet service provider, like Verizon, like DirecTV, like whoever gives you your internet, excuse me, I'm so angry, I'm burping, can now slow down your internet speed to specific websites and there is nothing to stop them. And there's nothing to stop them from asking that you pay a premium for faster service. Can I just point out really quick, they Mm -hmm. are already doing this and nothing was stopping them. Nothing was stopping them. So, the FCC was trying to stop them though. So the FCC can. The FCC fix this? is not trying to stop them. The FCC. The FCC is no, benignly stupid. The FCC the is trying to make sure that the public is not going to get too upset when they let that they explicitly say that they can do it. Yes. So we're sending you a link to a place where you can read about this, and you can send a letter to the FCC, you should probably also write to your elected officials. I mean, your town um, dog catcher is probably not going to do much. But you will probably know. do more than your senators and representatives. Yeah, know. they might do more than your senators, <laughs> depending on who your senators are. Um, but yeah, net neutrality is important, because they could slow down your download speed for sci-fi Saturday night.com because they don't like us. And then you'd be sad, wouldn't you? You would be. I'd be the sad. End, love Zumbrian. Well, would you like a link to a really good FAQ on a lot of common questions about net neutrality? That would be great. Yeah. Here, cool. I'll send it to you, Zumbrian, and you can you can put it up with the post. And if you have never yeah. read any articles on TechDirt.com, they are incredibly intelligent. They have really sharp analysis of and they're currently unbiased. current events. You know, Mike Masnick, he's also a science fiction writer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, I trust him to tell me what's going on. And they have a really long FAQ about net neutrality. Um, yeah, so. So there's that. Shit happens. You want to get more political? Do we have to? Right. HP Lovecraft was racist. No way. I'm shocked. No, I'm not. Nobody knew this. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that they knew this? Yeah, well, Nobody's willing to confront the fact of his racism. Let's put and it that way. And who was the one who confronted the fact of the race is racism? It was horror writer David Nickel. Okay. Who, as reported by Cory Doctorow on Boing Boing. Hi, Cory. How are you, my friend? He's Corey not Dr. here. I back up my backup husband. Oh dear. Ah. <laughs> anyway, he's such a, a is he a grandmaster of horror? Would you say that? Oh yeah, I think you could safely say that. Doctor, yeah. and I was like, not really. But yeah, no. I think we're talking about Lovecraft. I was talking about Lovecraft. I mean. You know, I I kind of want to see some sort of analysis of this about you know, sci-fi grandmasters, because honestly, I don't think I've ever thought about it in that context. They were pretty racist. Now I'm betting they were, but I was so young the last time I read them seriously that I'd probably go back now and go, Eek. 
Well, I mean, there's undeniably in some some of Heinlein's writing, there's incredibly sexist uh, writing in in, in uh, Heinlein. Yeah, we've had that's obvious. Sexism right. is different. I'm putting right. this in the context of racism, which is slightly more masked in science fiction because it's not necessarily black versus white or whatever it's it's aliens right so so it's it's slightly masked by there's aliens and aliens may or may not be doing something to warrant xenophobia right it it depends highland was 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 straight out about it in books like the fifth column where uh the chinese took over the world and there was just incredible racist uh, racist undertones and overtones in the book absolutely anyway i would also a, a kind of an overarching theme in the genre itself in more of a, a subtle way where kind of it's it's very white like a lot of most of the main authors are white and especially white males yep well i i think that really yeah. comes out when you know any person who's not white gets cast in any role for any genre movie. Yeah. And there's outcry. There is outcry. Yeah. Even the when... character who it, was a person of ex- color in the book. That's like, exactly what I was about to say. You read my yeah. brain. It was not yeah. <laughs> that hard to get there from what we were just talking about, but... Yeah. You read my brain. Kudos. I did. This is true. I'm psychic. Surprise! Shit. <laughs> Now she knows what you're thinking. Now I can't stop thinking about sex. <laughs> it, I mean, it happens. You know. Yeah. Oh, Could Lord. be worse, I guess. Now I'm just Here thinking of the Buffy episode where she's reading everyone's minds. And Xander's like, sex! No, no, shit! Sex! Ah, crap! Right? No, I'm not thinking about Xander. I was gonna say, I'm, and I'm actually not thinking about the Xander part. I'm thinking about Oz. <laughs> and he had that really, really complicated thought, and at the end he just goes, huh. Yep. Uh, I love Oz. that bit. I love Oz. Anyway, what were we talking about, Steph? Racism in okay. genre. Oh, so you know, important things. In general. Yeah. You know, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to unpack the privilege and, and check. You know, we, we address sexism a lot on this show. Yeah, we do. Um,. For obvious reasons. Not so much racism. Maybe we need to get there. Well, yeah. I mean, when when you look at stuff that was written in the 30s and 40s and 50s, it was clearly a different sense and sensibility. And things that were accepted and acceptable then clearly are no longer. So, yeah, it warrants a a second look and possibly even a third look. You know, I, I just can't get past it, though. You know, it's it's like when, when your grandmother says, you know, oh, I hope they don't elect that colored pope. And, and everyone goes, yeah, by the way, yes, that actually happened to me. Um, and everyone goes, oh, ha, 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 isn't that cute? You know, she's old. That's what old people do. No, it's not cute. I don't care how old she is. It's unacceptable behavior. And I sort of feel the same way about the literature, even though that's kind of more irrational. That, yeah, it is a little bit more irrational. Be, be, because obviously the, the literature has not changed since it's been written. Well, clearly my grandmother is still alive. 
And, well, and remember when we were talking about um, the people who wanted to take the N-word out of Huck Finn? Well, I, and that's true. That's not good. So what I'm saying is, is that, like, you can't just be like, oh, shrug, it's a product of its time. Like, that's not good enough. You yeah, can't do that. That's, that's just, like, not addressing it at all. It's like... No, that's not true, because there are sometimes when that has to be the accepted response, such as Huck Finn. But that's that's not an acceptable response because you can't just say that and stop. I think it needs to be an impetus to talk about exactly. Issues. See, you yeah, read my absolutely. brain again. You read yeah, my I think brain again. You can't again. just read it and take it as it is. You need to read it and explore it. And I think anything else is kind of irresponsible. And you have um, to put it in context of yeah. when it was written and, and what was going on at the time and why that was acceptable and why it's not acceptable now. Yeah. And understanding that is different than just being like, oh, that's just how it is. Exactly. My point. Thank you. Yep. So the problem, the problem with this article in Boing Boing, and it's a small problem as far as I'm concerned, is not that it exists, not that racism exists in his work, which it clearly does, but that David Nichol is, uh, as, as it says in the very first line of this article, has been repeatedly frustrated in attempts to have a frank and serious discussion about it. And it needs, you know, it needs to be identified, it needs to be shown for what it is, and to not be able to have that discussion about it, it's just incredibly stupid. Yeah. And let's and let's go go one step further beyond racism to eugenics. Yep, I'm going there. Um, Why? Well, because I think it's a commonly misinterpreted term, especially in this sort of day and age of genetic tinkering, right? So, mm-hmm. like eugenics, the way that Lovecraft thought of it, the way that Hitler thought of it, was like basically a breeding program for people, right? Well, a breeding and a culling program. Exactly. Like, this is not a pleasant thing any way you think about it. However, I often, and this is kind of veering off topic, except for, you know, science fact. I often hear people decry, quote, designer babies as eugenics. And it's very much not the same thing. If I decide I want to have a child and I can control aspects of the child's genetic code to ensure it has a better life, I am fuck all going to do that. I don't know anyone who wouldn't, seriously. Well, but there are people who wouldn't. For a myriad of reasons, some that are well-reasoned, some that are knee-jerk reactory. But But it's not eugenics. It's not... Put, no, it's it not isn't. putting anyone else in an inhumane situation to come out with this baby. And there's no telling. The baby is not going to be perfect. We're not at the level where we can have designer babies. Maybe someday we'll be there. I hope so. But we're not there yet, certainly. But there's there's no reason to call things like um, IVF, where you select for a certain gender or rather sexed embryo, not gender. Mm-hmm. Gender is a social construct, Sombrarian. I know. Um, I think she's muted. <laughs> I am. I, I was telling you. <laughs> you were telling me off, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, but you fixed it. I'm so proud of you. 
is is so selecting for a certain sex of an embryo uh, selecting for embryos that do not have certain genetic diseases. I mean, it's not possible at this point, but selecting for an embryo with a certain eye color, I don't have a problem with that. Maybe reasonably, you do. But it is not the same thing as eugenics in ever, in any case. Eugenics has become a very misused... Well, Dom? A, uh, a hot issue, yes. Sorry, I, you just cut out for a minute. Oh. Were you saying it was misused? A misused term? Yeah, it's a very term? misused term and a hot-button issue. And, and people tend to umbrella, especially those who are opposed to it, umbrella a whole myriad of, of things that really don't exist under that umbrella. Exactly. That's, that's why, because it is actually mentioned in this article, I wanted to mention it because, you know, you will see a lot of these people who are against sort of... Ah, uh, planning your family according to your lifestyle. I think that's the most delicate way I can put it. Um, Very delicate. Thank you, thank you. I I appreciate that. Um, we'll we'll lump this sort of selection under eugenics, and it's absolutely disingenuous. It is a good attempt to sort of horrify whoever's listening and doesn't necessarily know the facts behind all of the things because, you know, you hear eugenics, you're like, ah, Hitler, crap. Well, right? you, sh- you should be like, ah, Hitler, crap. But maybe you're not. I don't know. Um, it, it's in no way experimenting on people, depending on your definition of <clears throat> people, I suppose. So, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll do the whole Soylent Green episode next week. <laughs> I hear that's high... In essential nutrients, it's a super. Yeah, it's, it's a superfood. It's a superfood. It, it, it's very good in protein. Absolutely. It's no a superfood. Doctor Oz said so. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Oz endorses. Also, it'll food. cure your lumbago. There we go. Also, it'll give so you terrible diseases. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> yeah, you win yeah, some, yeah. you lose some. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, that whole super cold thing. What prion disease? Prion, honey. Prion disease, which should be pronounced so, prion because it sounds better. I quit. It's okay. <laughs> so, in so lighter news, yes, let's get to something lighter. Neil Patrick Harris got married. What's that got to Yay. do with John? Oh my gosh, I unquit because it was so cute. I know they're adorable. <laughs> Adorbs! It's it's in a human rights vein, and Neil Patrick Harris yeah, is amazing. Has, yeah. and, and Neil Patrick Harris is Neil Patrick Harris, and they're adorable and cute, and I love them. And their son okay. decided he didn't want to be the ring bearer because he thought that sounded stupid. And his sister got a basket of things to toss, and he wanted a basket of things to carry. So he decided he wanted to be the orange boy, and they gave him a basket of oranges, which he handed out to all the guests, because he's three. God, so cute. It's adorable. It's the cutest thing I've ever heard. The end. Oh, good lord. So can we get to something, genre? do you think? What the hell? Well, we could segue from there to J.K. Rowling, who oh, res- responded to a fan saying, and I quote, 
Once you revealed Dumbledore was homosexual, I stopped being a fan. Nice how you blindsided us with that one. Enjoy your billion dollars. I'd like I'd like to say a couple things here. Number one, if you've never met a gay person, you may have been blindsided. And number two, fuck you. <laughs> And J.K. Rowling's response was, I advise you to start following Brian Soter at once. He's much more your kind of person. And apparently that person is a man who attempted to fund a campaign pressuring the Scottish Parliament not to repeal Section 2A of the Local Government Act, which said governments shall not intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality. That being said, apparently J.K. Rowling does not want Scottish independence. And that's an entirely different issue, but it seems to be what people are mad at her for right now. I just think it's very strange on the internet, and there's been a lot of... um, sexism stories about feminist frequency um i don't know if any of you have heard about her anita sarkeesian um Mm -hmm. she makes these fabulous videos um illustrating why video games are extraordinarily sexist and she goes through different different sexist tropes and she came out with one a, a couple weeks ago at this point um about women basically being set decoration being brutalized as set decoration in these video games. Hooray! And, um, she was driven from her home by credible, terrifying threats based on this video. So, I would like to remind people, while you may not agree with someone, be it sexism or Scottish independence, fuck you. Shut up. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Leave them the hell alone. Yeah. Expressing your opinion should not open you up to threats of rape, dismemberment, etc. That's ridiculous. And speaking of that... That being said, I'm going to get... No, that that being said, I'm going to get at least one rape threat as the result of this segment, I bet. I predict that. I predict that. You've got nowhere to go? How about George yeah. Lucas? He's a horrible person. <laughs> well, uh, one more last thing on the on the J.K. Rowling thing. A quick little side note is that a fan tweeted at her asking, um, or actually saying, I would love uh, there to be a real test, no Patronus. And her response was, keep watching Pottermore. <gasps> so hopefully we'll get a Patronus test. I just heard Zombrian, like, Wheel in the other room. <laughs> I can do it again if you want. Go Bella, for it, please. Muted. Please do. <gasps> yeah, that was about what it sounded like. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, Siffy, our wonderful sci-fi channel here in the U.S., has announced they're going to do a childhoods and mini series, and I'm scared to death. It's such a good book. Quite I don't think I actually book. ever read that one. It's one of the few you never stole from me. <laughs> well, you know, I haven't read a lot of Clark in general. He's like my much-neglected Grandmaster, I think. Speaking of, where are any of the female Grandmasters? Seriously. There well, were Octavia Butler is kind of... Because it was a male... Yeah, but she's more... 
Yeah. Um, well, there's CJ Cherry, but uh, she was under uh, obviously a, a pen name, um, or she shortened right, her, for... her name. And I wouldn't necessarily think of her as a, a grandmaster, but someone who's kind of very, very prolific in the genre. Yeah, um, that's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, most of them yeah, got shuttled off into fantasy. Yeah. Not that I don't like fantasy, but jeez. Including right. Anne McCaffrey, who wrote like oh, she's just a fiction. bitch. She's yeah. just a bitch. Is she alive? No, she no, died. Okay, dead. good. If she were alive still, she, we could just add her to the list right now. Who are people who are never going to be on the show? Yeah, I know. <laughs> My problem is, it's the same kind of problem that I have with like Ender's Game, where I know the author is a horrible person, but the books are so central to my being really ender's game there's not much there you haven't read it yeah but i read some good critical analyses no, of it and no. and determined no, 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 that no, there was no, 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 no way i wanted to read this book no 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 you don't get it you don't get the right to say that if you haven't read it um actually it, wait a minute because there's so much shit in this world i do get to say that because I trust curation, which is what we here at Sci-Fi Saturday Night do, to filter the shit. And, you know, part of that is, is reading various diverse, um, conflicting opinions and coming to a rational conclusion as to whether this book is a waste of my time. And the answer in that case is yes. Okay, the reality the is Ender's Game can very much be a waste of your time. And it was a waste of mine, and there's no doubt about it. <laughs> it's a it's a horrible book, Thank and it's you. it's a horrible story, and it sends out horrible messages. But I read Thanks, the book. Dome. Well, yes, and I'm saying is that because of people like your opinion, not not exactly yours, because I didn't know you'd even read it until just now. But I, I've read, and I'm not just saying, like, I decided the book was terrible and therefore read a bunch of opinions that supported mine. No. That's not the way to do it. But you do have to have a line. Spider himself, right? There's so much yeah, stuff. You, you, you can't... There's so much out there. There's, there's so much in the world to consume. You can't waste your time on stuff you know is, is crap. So... I'm not wasting my time. Oh, uh, you know what I think? What? I was going to say Lady Knight. I, I saw your second news item here, and I, I actually read that earlier and was very interested. You want to introduce that topic? Yeah, so um, there's a new... Um, I'm sure many of you know that Thor is now a woman. A woman has taken over the mantle, as it were, of Thor. Um, and a lot of people have been saying like, oh, Thor got a gender change. No, it's a different person. It's a new Thor, um, who's also named Thor. And what happened this week is that the, um, the writing on the hammer was rewritten, uh, to, uh, whoever holds this hammer, if she be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor, which I think is just lovely. And it was interesting because the article I read, which I do not know if is the same one that you linked to here, um, said this is the first time that that has ever happened, number one. Number yeah. two, you'd think they'd smarten up and put a gender-neutral pronoun in there. And number three, it didn't even happen when Wonder Woman had it. Yeah. 
So this is a big deal, capital B D. Yeah. And while I am excited that it has changed to be inclusive of women, I do agree that I would love a gender neutral neutral term on it as well. Well, it just means like then they don't have to change it back and forth and True. back. Yeah. And forth. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. just, it just seems efficient, guys. So yeah. my question for you, Lady Knight, is this. Mm-hmm. Are you reading the new comic? Um, I haven't yet. Um, I don't I don't, don't actually know if it's out yet. I'm bad at keeping up with um, when issues come out because I generally wait for trades. Um, I don't like having a bunch of little issues around. So Preach, you mean. Preach. Preach. Yep. Um, yeah, and when it comes out in trade, then that's when I'll, I'll read it. Can I get I'm an amen? If when it comes out on iPad, then I'll after, read it. I'm wondering if the themology that they're going after is going to be reflected in the artwork. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, the, the little bit of artwork that is on this page is, is beautiful. Um, mm. It's the, the io9 article. Then that was probably um, the same that one that I read. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and this article also talks about cool. how it didn't change when Wonder Woman picked it up, so it must be the same. Probably, yes. Um, oh, it's it's not out yet. It's due October. Oh, oh yeah, October 1st. I was like, what month is it? It's September, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit happens, whatever, you know. Yeah. Now, now let's also talk about uh, Agent Carter. Ooh. Yes. I love her lipstick. Um, so let's start there. Wow. It takes... Yes. Oh my god. Lipstick. I know. I love the bright red. Oh, I love it. It's not even bright red yeah. though. It's it's like deeper. It's like Yeah. How do you describe that? Red carpet red maybe? I don't know. Yeah, something I don't And matching nails. I'm noticing and yeah. matching nails. Rock on Agent Carter. So I just clicked right? on it and the well, first picture um, that loaded is a really fat baby being adorable and I was like that baby's not wearing lipstick (laughs) (laughs) sorry no Uh, but yeah so this is one of the really great things to be excited about in season 2 of of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. besides my favorite characters coming back who are the the agents Um, but it's kind of um, Coulson is is now the director and he wants to rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D while hearkening back to the foundations that S.H.I.E.L.D. was built on. So it looks like what's going to happen a lot in the beginning of the season is uh, that he's going to look back on how how um, Agent Carter, how Peggy started S.H.I.E.L.D. and what, what she was going for and what she was doing um, and take those morals and those ideals of helping people and, and being the line of defense between kind of the weird and the, uh, the normal humans um, and that sentence got away from me. Where was yeah. I going? I love, I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. Plus one. You're entitled. It's a great show and I'm really enjoying it. Well, yeah. we've reached what pretends to be the halfway point of this fiasco, at which point we would normally bring in our guest for the night. We, so we are technically, normal. since we started recording, at the halfway point. But you know what you forgot to say? What did I forget to say? And now our guest. No. 
Thank you. I wanted to play it so bad. <laughs> You're right. I did forget that completely. God dumb. It's the first week we've actually had a format. God dumb. Uh. I know. I hate when that happens. Joining us tonight is author Stephen Seville. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hi. If Stephen lags a little bit, it's because we're in the U.S. and he's somewhere in Sweden. We're not going to say where. But it may be Stockholm. <laughs> it's not Stockholm. <laughs> Stephen is the author of the London Macabre series, which is part of uh, one of the books uh, that is in the current Dark Fantasy Bundle at StoryBundle.com. He is also the curator of the uh, Cyberpunk Bundle. And he also has at, a book in that one as well, if you didn't know. Yes, he that. does. Okay, good. Does I'm glad you did know that. So, Stephen, I did know that, yes. actually. You've written for Doctor Who, Torchwood, one of my uh, favorite series, Primeval Stargate. Wait, 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 wait. Which uh, season of Torchwood? Let's clear this up. I I, I wrote um, I wrote the, one of the first audio books that was on the BBC on the radio and available on uh, Audible and stuff called Hidden, uh, which was narrated by uh, Tosh Nekomori. Oh, very nice. And I did the Torchwood Yearbook for Titan and a bunch of stories in the Torchwood magazine. And technically, it was the first person to kill Yanto. What? Now I don't like you. God damn it. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, at least we can't hold you responsible for those last two seasons. Oh no, not, not, nothing on TV. All the supplemental stuff on Alright, well I'm still kind of mad about the Yanto thing, but let's keep going. Uh, I'm telling a writer, he's worked as a teacher, a burglar alarm salesman. For a day, but <laughs> but but seriously, how do you kill the guy who knows all the cool things to do with the a, a stopwatch? Seriously, <laughs> clearly over it. I mean, same. Uh, yeah, he's worked in various jobs. <laughs> it's okay. We're, we're gonna let sleeping dogs. I think if you did, it would be actually worse if you had an answer. <laughs> <sighs> so, so explain to me this bit from your biography, if you can, sir. Right. In yeah. 2003, Kevin J. Anderson burned a story of yours in an open <laughs> fire, stranded in a cabin, claiming it was a matter of survival. This is true. This, this is true. Um, it was way back, so 2003, it was... Yeah, I'd, I'd written a story about Houdini for the uh, Writers of the Future. Um, you guys know what that is, right? It's the... Uh, it's called the Hubbard Award. It's um, the largest... Um, what's, what do they call it? It's the largest uh, blind competition for new writers judged by at the time it was like Robert Silverberg and Hal Clements and uh, Jerry Pennell, Larry Niven, Kevin, Dave Farland, you know, a, a, a veritable roster, who's who of sci-fi. And we're into the finals and Kevin had taken five stories away to read 
um, the final five. Mine was in there. And he delighted in telling me when we sat down how he had read a page whilst, you know, snowed in. So he's in the cabin in Colorado, snowed in completely. He'd read a page, tossed it in the open fire. Read another page, tossed it in the open fire. And one by one, burnt my 17,000 word story. (laughs) It's true. And I mean, he, he does say, you know, obviously it was, it was fuel this the, this because it was doing. like minus 20 outside. That, 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 that was what he said. Well, to be fair, you do sure admit to killing Yanto. To be fair. Yeah, I, I admit to all sorts. It's all my fault. It's always my fault. So Jason Chen sent us uh, a couple of writers, uh, from the Dark Fantasy Bundle. Is this your first bundle for uh, no, StoryBundle.com? No, I've, I've been in one more, which was last year, which was a thriller bundle. Um, I'd done a novel called Silver, which is the it, it's the book that most people probably know me for and hate me for because it ends on a horrible cliffhanger and because of very bizarre rights issues with the publisher who refused to go bust, the sequel was five years or is five years in coming because they couldn't afford to print it, but owned it. Oh my God. I think I speak for everyone here when I say those dicks. Yep. I mean, absolutely. Um, and, and literally, I mean, I, I, for about three and a half years was getting 20, 30 letters a week going, where the fuck is the second part? And I'm like, nice. I really wish I could explain. I really wish I could tell you, but I'm kind of, you know, half into litigation, out of litigation, trying to get my book back. And I only got, I only got it back this summer. So now it's coming out in January, finally. Five years after the first one. No cliffhanger wow. there, Good. obviously. <clears throat> no, none whatsoever. <laughs> so talk to us a little Talk to us a little bit about London Macabre, which is your your entry in the uh, dark fantasy. Right. Um, I don't know where to start. Basically, normally when I write a, a novel, I write it very differently to a short story. Um, I'll, I'll give a story much more room to breathe and, and not cram as many ideas into a novel. In a short story, you know, I'll try and think, okay, I need, I need to be really important, really impressive, really fast. So it'll, it'll be really dense. So, of course, this one day, I came up with this really dumb idea of thinking, hey, I wonder if I could write a novel the same way I write a short story. So I went and wrote a 160,000-word novel. It's about 500 pages. Um, and there's enough plot in it for about six novels. It was released first in Poland, I think, if I remember right. Naturally. Yeah, I mean, of course, as as it it happens, obviously. Um, It came out in Poland about a year before anywhere else. And I I remember the first review uh, was from a a newspaper. uh, It translated to, I feel like my brain was raped because I couldn't sleep for weeks and not in a good way. I quite like that. Yeah, that sounds like a compliment to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a Victorian fantasy, but it's not steampunk. 
it's it's a it's a fantasy novel. Um, originally, I'd been asked to write something about the fall of heaven. So the the basic concept is the Ripper's victims are all angels, and the Ripper himself was trying to open the gates to heaven by you know believing the innocence of the angels, and that's kind of where it starts, and it gets very weird from there. Oh, speaking of Jack the Ripper, have you have you seen the articles that have come out recently? Yeah. I, I, now I, here I, I, on I, I, Sci-Fi I, Saturday Night, we have a rule, and the right. rule the rule is, if the title of the article is a question that can be answered by no, you should not write the fucking <laughs> article. Jack the Ripper being sold? No. Exactly my point. Exactly my point. Which is why we haven't been talking about it, quite frankly. I know. Well, since it since it came up, I thought I'd acknowledge. No, that was good. Just, that was good. But but just, you did agree, Kriana. You did agree that the articles that came after that said where the headline was, "Has Jack the Ripper really been solved?" No. And those were important because the other one was so prevalent. Well, I, I'm a little torn in that case. I would say yes and no, and here's why. Um, because the the misinformation behind the original articles were people basically self-publishing a work of... I, I won't go... I won't go so far as to call it fiction. It was in their mind it was fact, but it was it's dubious fact at best. Dubious fact. There you at go. at best. Um you know, you know, I'm pretty sure they didn't just make it all up, but but I can't vouch for that. Um and you know, it, it's a testament to the sad state of science reporting in our society that there are journalists out there who just sort of went, Oh, crap! They finally figured out who Jack the Ripper is! No! Um, so I'm a little I'm a little torn about the follow-up articles that sort of debunked the data because since the original um, posts were trying to promote this book, promote promote, get sales, get their name out there. I don't want to give them any more attention. However, it is no, important the, to know the truth. So so I guess in a perfect world, in my perfect world, the articles would never have come out in the first place because someone would have, anyone would have taken a look at that and been like, <laughs> you're not serious, right? Well, I mean, you, you really have to wonder at revolutionary DNA technique being promoted I, I mean you can go you can start further back than that you you have to wonder about what sort of husband gifts his wife a bloody shawl from a murder scene <laughs> to be fair Victorians were fucked up <laughs> yeah but but okay so so this prostitute is murdered and there's a bloody shawl, a bloody shawl which is not in a controlled environment. And let's face the fact that there is literally DNA everywhere. That's why we have labs and clean rooms when we want to, you know, isolate things because it's everywhere. But but just just say, just say that that the genetic integrity of of the sample is intact, which is highly unlikely. And they found the one spot of semen, which is totally from Jack the Ripper, not some other guy. 
assumptions there. Victorians were fucked up. Well, no, no, no. That assumption is not made by a Victorian, though. That no, was no, 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 no. I'm saying it doesn't necessarily have to be Jack the Ripper. She was a prostitute. She was in contact with multiple sexual partners. Not to mention, you know, how old is it? You know, it's it's not unheard of that it could have come in contact with that sort of substance. You know. Any number of other ways. Yeah, hello. Can we get back to Have you met a teenage boy? Because I have, and I don't want to shake their hand. Thank you very much. Kinky shoals yes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Sorry, so derailed. What, so what prompted you to write this book? Where did this book come from? Well, I mean, in, in truth, I said I'd spent about nine months writing Silver, and then I worked on Battlefield 3, the computer game. I'd written the story for that. And I needed to do something different because my brain was absolutely done with the idea of, you know, violent Russians and mobs, you know, killing and into Afghanistan and all that kind of crap. I thought, you know what? Let's let's do something completely unlike anything anybody's doing. Let's do a Victorian fantasy. <laughs> Little did I know the whole world was going to be invaded with steampunk about three months after I started it. Um, <laughs> well, you were you were just ahead of the curve. You're just you're just a trendsetter. That's all. Well, no, this Perfect. is it. If I if I if I'd been on the curve, I'd have had steampunk in it. But there's no steampunk in it. It's fantasy. And it's like everybody looks and thinks, oh, Victorian, must be steampunk. It's like, no, it's not. Sorry. Um, that makes it sound like it, it's, it's a great book, right? It, it's my most ambitious book by miles, but it's a total headbutt. What's bad with that? I think that's wonderful. Nothing. I think it's brilliant. That's what I like about it. I don't want to read something that, you know, you just sit and go, well, that was easy. That didn't make you think. Um, exactly, exactly. They're, they're, I don't got time for that. No. So, one one of my favorite reviews for it said, I'd be really dangerous if I ever wanted to start my own religion. Which I, I thought was <laughs> nice as well. That's awesome. So there are five books in the bundle. Your book is one of the bundle. And if you yeah. buy the minimum, and we've gone through this a bunch of times when we talk about story bundle, and the minimum in this case I think is $12, uh, there are four additional books that you get as well. Uh, yes. So, so that's twelve dollars for how many books then? Go on. Nine books. Nine books Eight. for twelve dollars. This is what I'm talking about. This is the price that ebooks should be priced cool. at. And they do look. They're always cool. Like I, I don't think Story Bundle has ever had a terrible bundle. Well, the interesting thing with this that one challenge. is. <laughs> The interesting thing with this one is in the original five, you get book one of the Templar Chronicles, and part of the bonus is books two and three, which I think is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And Jason is always good at doing things like that. And and this goes back again to what I was saying about curation. You know, you have to know who you can trust to show you the good stuff. That sounded a little like a drug deal, but it is a little like a drug deal. But with books. So let's talk a little bit about (laughs) the Cyberpunk bundle, which just opened this morning, uh, which you curated. Now, curating is the most large one. It's huge. Oh, my God. 
So, so wait, is it the same minimum? Is it still no. T- no. The minimum's a little bit higher. I think the minimum is 15. Yes, the yeah. minimum is 15 on this one. And uh, if you pay under the minimum, you get your six books. If you pay 15 or more, you get like 14 books. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, if you, if you pay if you pay fifteen bucks, you get well thirteen uh, books. 13 it looks books. like yeah, thirteen books. So so it's really only get... one more than than the other one. Uh, no. Yeah, I thought the other one was twelve. We just said. The other one was nine. Nine. For twelve. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers: nine books for twelve dollars, or thirteen books for fifteen. Right. Yeah. No brainer. And, yep. and not only that, you're getting one book uh, by a guy called Milo Bear, who's uh, one of Dave Farland's students. Uh, you know Dave, right? No, I don't think. Had him on the show. No. You never know, had him on the show. Okay. Well, Dave is a, he's a wonderful writer, but he's also a, a brilliant teacher. Um, his previous students include uh, Brandon Sanderson. Um, he had Dan Wells as a student. And probably most famously, he had Stephanie Mayer, you know, Twilight as a student. I don't know. I don't know if that's actually making me want to like him. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's not his fault that she was his student, but no, but he also knows. Well, if you look at it that way, and and Dave put me put me onto this one called Bill for Bloody Calculus. And basically said it's what Wordsworth would write if Wordsworth had written a cyberpunk novel. Huh. So is it a retelling of Beowulf? You'll have to read it. Well, well, make me make me want to read it. (laughs) Make you want to read it. So, so me saying that what it? um, Here we go. Where's where's the review for it? I'll read you a review. Um. This is from Dave himself. He says, over the past 20 years, I've discovered dozens of authors who've gone on to become New York Times bestsellers, and I've learned to recognize genius when I see it. In Beowulf, A Bloody Calculus, the genius is apparent from page one. Well, tell me that doesn't make you want to read it. Well, no, it doesn't, because I don't know this guy, and I therefore don't trust him. <laughs> and, and, and then you said that thing about Stephanie Mayer. Now I really don't trust him. I trust oh, you, though. I trust, I trust you, though. The head... Dave is the head judge of, of Writers of the Future. Okay. So he, he, he processes, what, 20,000 applicants, uh, you know, entrance a year to pick out the best fiction there. He's obviously New York Times best-selling novelist himself. Did the, the, the Runeland's, um novels and other stuff. Runeland. Well, to be fair, so is Stephanie Mayer. Yeah. Yep. So that's two for two. That's, that, I mean, that, that's pretty good. Two that's two. a problem to me. That's and Dan Wells and oh. Brandon Sanderson. Yep. All right, all so, right. We'll see. We'll see so, how it goes. So, uh, I'm looking at the diversity in this story bundle. Yes. And the diversity and, and is absolutely comes, amazing. Uh, and then it all comes under the term of cyberpunk very loosely. Uh, I'm going to go with it does yes. not look like a retelling of Beowulf. From from the <laughs> synopsis, well, you know, it's an iconic name, is it not? It is, it yeah. is, and I so, I wrote. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, um, one of the other things I do is I, I write under the Alex Archer pseudonym for um, Harlequin and do the Rogue Angel series. And one of the first ones I did there was a Beowulf novel, Grendel's Curse. Hmm. So I, I had a Beowulf. I quite like Beowulf. Maybe it's going to live in Sweden. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a prerequisite to living in Sweden last time I checked she's in my book oh okay <laughs> well maybe maybe it is now I don't, I don't know it's been a while since I looked into living in Sweden I guess so we uh, at Sci-Fi Saturday Night we curated a bundle what was like a year and that was a daunting task for us for a lot of reasons <laughs> for, us? Like for, for us for yeah. us for, for yeah. me, for me, because no one would give me their choices. <laughs> guys! Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, actually, wait a minute. Lady, Lady Knight, you're excused from that, guys. Okay? Thank just you. So we're clear. You just, so we're, just so we're clear. I gave you my <laughs> choice the first night. I know. We, we, we dealt with that. So really, so, you're yelling at Dome? Yeah. Nope. Let's make that clear. Nope. nope. No, she wasn't yelling at me either. Nice try. Nope. So, so Stephen... How did you craft this bundle? Uh, well, I mean, I, the first first things, I, I, I went and looked at what was considered to be the definitive cyberpunk. And then figured, okay, well, everyone's going to have read the William Gibsons. They're going to right. have read... And I, you know, I went through the, you know, the, the top ten and, and was struck several times that obviously uh, Melissa Scott popped up on the, the top tens for Cyberpunk. I'm like, okay, well, now, obviously I know Melissa from doing the, um, the Stargate books because I've done Stargate. <laughs> I love Stargate. <laughs> well, officially I think I wrote the worst Stargate novel ever published, they said. Oh, no. <laughs> and you killed Yonto. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, why am I still here? I don't know. I, I, I could tell you why it was the worst Stargate novel. Ever Go ever. ahead. I, I haven't read any of the Stargate novels, actually. I, I'm no, not I, even through the series yet. Well, it, it's completely not my fault. All right. Well, let's hear no, it, then. Yeah, you know, what happened was I put forward the pitch, delivered it, wrote the book, and about a week before it was due to go to print... Suddenly, people panicked and went, "Oh shit! This is actually really uncomfortable. This is this is the idea of, of, of the SG One guys ending up back in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany." <laughs> they just and figured out just then that that was uncomfortable. Yes, and this is it. And the whole idea was obviously it was going to be a case of um, you know alternative history. Once they'd gone back, they screw up. Um, they end up leaving the Russians, uh, you know, rescuing the, the prisoners. Out they come. They play for the Russian hands. The Russians become a great power, and everything twists around. And it was supposed to be a trilogy going forward from this, but you know it had obviously had all that really uncomfortable stuff about um, you know genetic experimentation and the stuff we've been talking about earlier. Actually. Sure. And the whole thing was written, and it was really good, and I was really happy with it. And then we got an absolute panicked call saying, "You know what? It needs to be an alien planet." It's like, oh, oh my god. Wait, which life. completely, like, derails the whole point of your story. Yep. And, and ended up with lots of people going, oh, he's just ripped off World War Two. Of like, course. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, tried to make it 
what it was originally going to be, and it's like, oh, for God's sake. So it was it was quite disturbing, but sometimes that's the way it happens. You know, you're doing the book for these guys. You just wish that somebody had said maybe about nine months earlier. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know, <laughs> if, if, they, if they, you know, got around to it. But sort of, you know, back to the back to the bundle because that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Um, yeah. It it was a really difficult choice. I mean, I I I, I will freely admit I, I have a, a man crush on Rush and have had all my life. And the fact that Kevin's Resurrection Inc. is a cyberpunk novel inspired by Grace Under the Pressure had to be in. It just it just had to be. And you're all looking at me going, he likes Rush. So yep. I, I do, I confess. Um, and then, you know, you've got the the coolest of the cool, obviously, is that, you know, Billy D. Williams is in with Cynet. I mean, everybody knows, of course, that, you know, Lando Calrissian wrote Cyberpunk, right? Yes, yeah, just like I William Shatner you. wrote sci-fi, of course. <laughs> yeah, the same oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, right? He he totally, air quotes, wrote those. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah, Ryan Coulard had nothing to do with that. Ab- right. yeah, absolutely nothing. Thing. Why would you even think that, Dome? God. I have no idea other than the fact that it was totally Vicious bad. lies and slander. I know, I know. I'll have to ask Shatner when I see him at Rhode Island about Yes, that. I'm sure that'll go over well. Me too. Let's <laughs> let's ask him what his, what his, do you think he's even read them? <laughs> like, like, I feel like. So, what was your favorite part to write of the tech books? Oh, and ju- I'm just in- envisioning the blink stare. I would imagine. Did I write those? Like the slip in the bank where he puts the numbers on before he hands in the check. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, in this book, you have uh, a Frank Herbert's book. It's never been published. That's right. Never before published. It's, How did you um, get hold of this? Well, through Kevin, because obviously you know Kevin has done all the June books, the June prequels, um, and has his own publishing company, Wordfire Press, and and Wordfire are the ones who are republishing and and publishing for the first time a lot of Frank's old stuff. And you know it's a cyberpunk novel by the guy who created June again. It was a no-brainer. Yeah. Hello. It's a whole lot of no-brainers in here. It's just, uh, yeah, I well, I mean, by no-brainer, you mean like, that is so awesome, I'm clicking buy right now. and yeah, I, 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 I'm I, lying. I'm not I clicking buy right now not. because I already have it, so. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and this happens every single time with Story Bundle. You bought the Romance Bundle, too? No, I didn't. Actually, I, and I and I'm lying a little bit. I I didn't buy the video game 4.0 bundle. But but for every for every genre, every every theme that I'm actually interested in, it's always a no-brainer. And sometimes things that I didn't think I'd be interested in. Not always, but sometimes. Like Star Hanks. You never know. Possible. Well, let's say that's the, the David Bischoff trilogy, uh, the so, entire trilogy in the bundle. Yeah. Let's talk about that just a little bit, too, because that really surprised me. First of all, that you get Bischoff in this, but you get the entire trilogy of uh, the Starhounds. 
what can I say? I'm persuasive. I guess so. We we should we should bring you with us when we, when we interview people. You you'd get a lot more good dirt out of them, I think. My God. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'm so charming. You just give me what I, what I want. It's, it's you, you know what? You know what else I find works in that general manner? Boobs. I have those as well. No, wait. <laughs> well, that is impressive, sir. <laughs> yes, Kriana, you've used them for good and evil. Well, well mostly Kriana, evil. Absolutely. Mostly evil. Come on. So if you well, I was going to talk a little bit more about Melissa Scott. Uh, she's got two books hmm. in this bundle, which I think is incredibly cool. Uh, what uh, about this I've bundle is not incredibly cool? Books. Who who haven't we talked? Oh, because so, I mean, we mentioned Melissa Scott a little bit earlier, I believe. Who oh, haven't no, we mentioned? Yes. I don't think we've mentioned Keith Brook. Right now, Keith is an old friend of mine. Right, he's a, a wonderful English writer. I I first came across some of his writing. God, it must have been about 1988-89 in a magazine called uh, Interzone, which is one of the stalwart English science fiction magazines. And this story stuck with me for years. So in what, like 99, 2000, I was doing an anthology to raise money for shelter, the homeless charity in England. And it's a horror anthology. It's 20 horror stories and one science fiction story because I love Keith's stuff so much. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and now, now, is Interzone the equivalent of like Asimov? Yeah, same sort of ideal. All right, cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would—I mean, he—he he deserves a much bigger audience stateside than he's got. He's—he's he's, he's well known in the UK. You know, he's—he's he's one of these guys who he arrived mid '80s, um, did did a trilogy, Expatria, which are really worth picking out if you've not come across them. Um, and obviously, the Accord is a great place to start. See, that's my sales pitch. Well played. No, I said, you know, there, there's nothing more compelling to me than when someone says, I read this book in 1989, or I read a story in 1989, and it has just stuck with me since then. Yeah. Because those are always the best ones. You know, crappy stories, mediocre stories, you read them, you're like, that was nice, and, and then they go away. It's the ones. On. It's the ones that stay with you. Yeah, like the first time you read Time Traveler is Strictly Cash, and it stuck with you forever. Some of them are just the golden oldies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like to point out that I could not read in 1989. Yeah, that's true. Hey, trying to make me feel really old here. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, Dome is here. <laughs> oh. Dome, Dome is here. Aww. You can't be older than him. So. No, you're definitely not older than me, so you're fine with that stuff. Don't no worry about it. Don't go anywhere. You know, I would love to talk uh, about uh, another uh, book that you wrote, that, but we're running out of time, so we're going to have to do it another time. Uh, the book is called Fantastic TV, A Critical <laughs> Study of Science Fiction. Dome, Dome, you know that we're not actually running out of time, right? We don't have to be off at a certain time. You, you also realize it's now four in the morning for him. Oh, well, I suppose. 
So if you wanted to actually like have... sleep, whatever. Yeah. yeah so, I'm, so, I'm a writer. I probably for God's sake. <laughs> so you know, there's, there's a whole which is uh, a study of 50 years of science fiction on television. Was this written from a British perspective or uh, an American perspective? It's it's British. I'm British. Okay. No, I are you? How? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had no idea. I'm so shocked. I know it's, it's scandalous. I, I blindsided you. You did blindside me. I've never met an English person before, so you totally blindsided. That's also a lie. <laughs> so also a lie. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, come on. Be be honest. Dream job. Get paid to watch TV. Oh, best job in the fucking universe. Are you kidding me? Exactly. Yeah, I want that job. So, I mean, I went to the publisher and said, I want to write a book all about my favorite TV shows. Well, that's kind of what we I do on this show, but we lack that, that appropriate, um, that important content of getting paid. Getting paid, so, yeah. Yeah, we, we lack that, that facet. Sooner or later that'll happen, or not, but whatever. Continue to dream, Dome. Continue to dream. <laughs> I had my parents over on vacation a month ago, and my mother turned around and went, you watch too much television. And I'm like, they paid me to watch it. <laughs> I had to watch it. Too much television. Yeah, what kind, of, what kind of attitude is that? Yeah, right? there, there's no such thing. That is the oxymoron of the universe right there. Way back in the day, my doctor told Mama Zombrarian that I needed to watch more TV in order to be able to relate to my fellow students. <laughs> so I literally, they forced me to put down my book for half an hour a day at 8 p.m. and watch television. And that is a crime against humanity. Those bastards. Yeah, but I ended up watching, like, all of Gilligan's Island, so it oh, wasn't all bad. You I know. still could not relate to my fellow students, but... But you had great fun. So I saw Gilligan's did. Island. <laughs> so, Stephen, I'd yeah. love to have you back at some point uh, and talk about uh, some of your new works and what it is you're doing. And I can't thank you enough for coming all the way from Stockholm. It was it's a long, long drive. Yeah. Are your arms tired? I don't know. Yes, I'm laughing. So, Kriana, what's coming up on the show for the next couple of weeks? Well, next week we have... Yes, it is next week. I just had to double check that. Next yeah. week we have legendary author Timothy Zahn... And I'm going to ask him about the Thrawn trilogy, because I'm a nerd yes, like you. that. And then on the 27th, we have, what do you call a group of horror writers? Is it a murder of horror writers? I think it should be. I think it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. A murder of horror writers. Old faces, not, not like literally old, just like faces we've seen before. And new faces, including Dale Phillips of Vlad Vaslin, Ursula Wong, and Stacey Longo, the lovely... Um, and they have a new anthology coming out called Insanity Tales. 
And now I get to say that Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, GraniteCon, Rhode Island Comic-Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. Tonight's intro music is provided by Rob Watts, and find more of his creations at RobWattsOnline.com. Doom? I want to thank Stephen Seville for joining us tonight. Uh, it was, it's been a weird week or so getting you involved. I'm glad we finally made it happen, Steve. Thank you so much. Pleasure, mate. Uh, I want to thank our cast for joining us tonight and putting up with all the insanity. From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and our woman of words, Zombraria. Thank you so much, ladies. You know, I really think I speak for everyone here when I say, that's what she said. The deadly sea creatures were shrimp. (laughs) (laughs) From a galaxy far, far away, Sir Sarah, Lady Knight, thank you so much, my dear. Lacking in a witty comment, I bid you all farewell. This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know.